Hey, I'm Tom Power. I'm the host of the podcast Q with Tom Power, where we talk to all kinds of artists, actors, writers, musicians, painters. We had Green Day on the other day talking about their huge album, American Idiot. Nicole Byer came on to talk about ADHD and comedy. And then there's Dan Levy. While we were talking about filmmaking, we talked about his insecurities. I sometimes feel like I have this desire to, like, perform, to be a version of myself that people might like. Listen to Q with Tom Power to hear your favorite artists as they truly are wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Welcome to The Dose. Let's see if I can pronounce it. Adjucanumab. I've been spending a lot of time learning how to pronounce that drug name. That's because it's the name of the first new drug treatment for Alzheimer's disease in nearly 20 years, which is a long time. Hi, Saskia. Hi. How are you doing? I'm fine. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks. I want to ask you something. In your position at the Alzheimer's Society of Canada, do you get to speak to patients or family members? Do they call you or is that part of your part of your job? Yes, it is. Um, it covers the full range. So that includes speaking one-on-one with clients who need support, who have questions, covering the whole spectrum of dementia. Wow. Do you have a, a personal stake in this, a personal connection, loved ones who uh, have dementia, maybe some of whom have passed away, anything like that? Yes, I have seen the disease up close and, and personal. I do have some loved ones who uh, lived with Alzheimer's disease for quite a while and, and have passed on now. And, uh, you know, I hear the personal impact of dementia every day. Well, me too. And, uh, you know, certainly in my extended family and in my, my close family of origin as well. So I also have a kind of a stake in this conversation. So, uh, Saskia, what I'd like you to do is I'd like to get you to say, hi, my name is, and uh, tell us what you do. So, hi, my name is Dr. Saskia Sivananthan. I'm Chief Science Officer at the Alzheimer's Society of Canada. And uh, my work includes uh, overseeing the Alzheimer's Society Research Program as well as all the education material that supports people living with dementia across the country. Okay, here we go. Earlier this month, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration gave aducanumab, brand name Aduhelm, accelerated approval, something it grants for serious conditions that fill an unmet medical need. And if any condition could use a bit of good news, it's Alzheimer's disease. But the drug is controversial, and here to help unpack the treatment and why some experts say the FDA should not have approved it is Saskia Sivananthan. Welcome to The Dose. Thanks for having me. So what is aducanumab? So aducanumab is the newest clinical treatment for Alzheimer's disease to reach the market in nearly two decades. It was recently approved in the the U.S. under an accelerated approval process. Now, what aducanumab is meant to do is clear something called amyloid beta, which is a protein thought to be harmful that accumulates in the brains of people living with Alzheimer's disease. It's one of the hallmarks of the disease. It is also thought to slow the cognitive decline that is a key symptom of dementia and Alzheimer's disease. And of course, that assumes that clearing the amyloid should slow down the cognitive decline. Have I got that right? Exactly it. And that is really where a lot of the controversy centers. 
So let's start with why did three members of the Food and Drug Administration's own advisory panel resign in protest when the FDA approved of this drug? Well, I wouldn't really speculate necessarily on why they resigned, but I can say that aducanumab has been under phase three clinical trial for a while. Uh, and Canada is one of the countries that participated and had multiple clinical sites here. Now, early in 2019, that phase three clinical trial was stopped because it was thought that aducanumab was not meeting the clinical endpoint that we discussed earlier, which is to be able to slow that cognitive decline uh, that is a key symptom of Alzheimer's disease. So it wasn't doing what it was supposed to do, at least at that point in the in the clinical trial. Exactly it. Now, subsequent to that, the data came in more fulsomely from all of the clinical trial sites. At the time that that decision was made, not all of the data was in for analysis. At least this is uh, what we've been told by the developers of Aducanumab, that's Biogen and Esai. So after reviewing the rest of the data, they did decide that in fact, it does meet that clinical endpoint and therefore submitted it for accelerated approval under the FDA's approval process. Does that mean it slowed down the cognitive decline of everybody in the study who was taking the drug? So, no. Aducanumab is thought to only slow the cognitive decline if it is effective, and this is also where some of the controversy is, only in people who have early stages of Alzheimer's disease and mild cognitive impairment. Now, mild cognitive impairment is not necessarily dementia and a high percentage of people who are diagnosed with mild cognitive impairment can convert to developing Alzheimer's disease or a form of dementia later on. So aducanumab is thought to only be effective in people who have early stages of Alzheimer's disease and at a high dose of receiving aducanumab. So there is a dose response related to this as well. I read about one patient with early onset Alzheimer's whose friends said he was acting more like himself, following conversations much better. Is that the kind of thing that would be measurable as a clinical effect? Um, it can be. So with aducanumab, there were a couple of measures that they were following. The one that's most important to people living with dementia, of course, is that cognitive decline, that memory loss is slowed or stopped if completely possible. But there are other um, symptoms of Alzheimer's disease, and you just nailed it, Brian. So that includes language loss or difficulty with language. Um, it could mean disorientation, uh, difficulty doing things that you do on a daily basis, like making a cup of tea or coffee, or recognizing that what you're holding in your hand is a cup or a key. And those are other clinical endpoints that would have been measured in aducanumab. But there was no dramatic improvement in any of the patients who got the drug. That's what we understand from the advisory panel. So the FDA approval process includes consulting with experts and a external advisory panel of experts. And the controversy was that almost unanimously, the FDA's advisory group did not consider the drug to be effective. However, the FDA approval was granted on the condition of another trial that will tell us whether the drug does prove to be effective or not. Ordinarily, 
the Food and Drug Administration would grant approval to a drug if there were two clinical trials, two phase three clinical trials that showed a statistically significant benefit uh, compared to placebo. In this case, they approved it with just one and ordered a second study. Were they bending the rules? It's a difficult question to answer, Brian. The submission to the FDA was under a special process, um, not your usual process for assessment. And under that accelerated process, there are different requirements. And, and Health Canada has a similar process as well. And it's applied really when there is a life-threatening disease for which there are no treatments. Uh, and it was under this that the FDA approved aducanumab. The drug has side effects, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Uh, and quite significant. So up to a third of patients experience brain swelling. Another common side effect are headaches. Uh, and then there's the usual very long list of other side effects that include, you know, falls, diarrhea, microhemorrhaging, etc. And then, of course, there's the cost. Biogen has said it would cost about $50,000 U.S. a year. And, of course, that leads to an obvious question. Who's supposed to pay that? Yeah, those are pretty astronomical costs, aren't they? Um, so the annual cost of the drug in the U.S. is actually $56,000 um, is where we've last heard. And I'd note that's for the drug only. So there are additional costs associated. This is not a pill. It's an IV infusion, which means that you'd have to go into a hospital right now or a treatment site, a location to receive the IV infusions. As well, you'd have to have MRIs that are occurring. You'd have to have an MRI before you access the drug and a couple of MRIs while you are receiving the drug to make sure that none of the brain swelling and hemorrhaging we talked about earlier is occurring as well. And all of that comes with a cost, presumably a percentage of it may be covered. But again, we don't know. None of that information has been released. Uh, what we do know is that the drug is on the market and that the first few patients have already accessed it as of last week. Hold that thought. We'll be right back. So, you know, as we said, the Food and Drug Administration gave aducanumab accelerated approval. What is supposed to happen next in the United States? So what it does mean is that the drug is currently available on the market under the name Aduhelm. It does look like right now all of that cost is out of pocket. We don't know what it would look like um, under uh, Medicaid, for example. But we do know as well with the FDA's approval, it came with the caveat that another clinical trial needs to occur to truly demonstrate the clinical benefits of aducanumab. And if that clinical trial proves that there is not enough of a significant clinical benefit, the FDA can initiate proceedings to withdraw approval. That sounds like there's a, a hint of desperation surrounding the approval or the kind of uh, tentative approval of this drug. Well, I'd say we'd have to go back to the history of funding in dementia research and in the drugs themselves. You know, as we talked about, it's been 20 years, almost 20 years since any breakthrough treatment has occurred for Alzheimer's disease. When you think about the cost and the impact of dementia, there are in Canada at least over half a million Canadians currently living with dementia. And double that if you consider that for every person who's living with dementia, there's a caregiver, an unpaid informal caregiver, a family member who's providing that care right now. And we're not even thinking about 
the system impact and the number of formal caregivers that are available. And as dementia proceeds, it gets to the point where the person needs 24 hours, seven days a week of care. This is not insubstantial. It has huge, huge impacts on our health system and on our population. And yet the investment in research for dementia has been quite poor. Canada is quite low in terms of our funding for dementia research. Other countries have started to invest more, but it has not translated yet into clinical trials that are showing promise. We've been talking about the United States, and I know you want to talk about Canada. So where are we in terms of the process to obtain approval by Health Canada? It has been submitted to Health Canada for approval, and um, it's currently under review. So similar to the FDA, it has to go through uh, the same rigor uh, in terms of assessing the efficacy of the drug and the safety of the drug. And so it'll go through a similar process to the FDA in terms of including external experts and advisory committees to review the data. Um, it'll also review the data submitted by the sponsor. In this case, it would be uh, Biogen and ESI. Once it's gone through that full process, if the decision is that the benefits outweigh the risks and, or that the risks can be mitigated, then the drug is issued a notice of compliance, an NOC, as well as a drug identification number. But that's just step one. After that, it needs to go through a further review process by each of the provinces to assess how it would be covered and how much of that cost would be covered at a provincial level. Is there any precedent in Canada for the kind of temporary or tentative approval that was given by the Food and Drug Administration in the United States with Health Canada? So Health Canada does have a priority review process, which is similar to what Biogen applied for in the FDA. And it's available for promising drugs that are meant to treat life-threatening or severely debilitating conditions. And there are a few treatments where this has occurred. And part of that process means a shorter review target. So instead of generally, it takes on average about 300 days for non-priority drugs to be reviewed. Under the priority review process, it's 180 days. So it is a shorter process. Given the fact that the drug did get approval in the United States under, a, you know, it was given accelerated approval, does, does that mean that Health Canada approval is a slam dunk? Not by any means of the imagination. No, I'm sure Health Canada has been uh, reviewing the data and certainly reviewing um, all of the controversy surrounding the FDA's approval, and they have their own review process. I would not say it's a slam dunk. I think it will take time, and we've got to trust that Health Canada's review process uh, will make a decision um, that is best in terms of safety and efficacy of the drug. As you mentioned, we have lots of provinces and territories that tend to make independent decisions, and we're talking about a drug that is not a slam dunk treatment for Alzheimer's disease that costs an estimated $56,000 US per year, so a higher cost in Canadian dollars. How do the provinces react to a drug like this? We've never had anything like this for a condition like Alzheimer's disease at that cost. No, we never have. I mean, the cost is really something that makes you pause. And uh, of course, controversy around its, its efficacy and, and the data surrounding it. But on the flip side of that, again, considering that this is a disease that has such enormous impact on people living with dementia, 
And there is no hope. There has been no hope until aducanumab was approved in terms of a drug that might actually do something to address the underlying cause of dementia. And this is why there have been people on both sides of the spectrum around uh, either welcoming it or absolutely disapproving of it. With the provinces, they will have their own review process for whether they would cover the cost of the drug or not. And even with the current drugs that are on the market available for Alzheimer's disease and dementia, there are currently four available. It varies by province in terms of coverage and availability. Researchers and uh, pharmaceutical companies invested a lot in the uh, hypothesis that getting rid of amyloid in the brain or preventing it from, from developing in the first place was the route to treating Alzheimer's or perhaps preventing it from getting worse. Is this drug, aducanumab, the last best hope for that hypothesis, for the idea that amyloid plays a significant role in Alzheimer's dementia? Well, amyloid beta certainly plays a role. I think that is not contested quite as much as whether amyloid beta is the primary role. And part of the concern has been that because so much was invested in amyloid beta only, we didn't explore other potentially innovative hypotheses that could result in a series of treatments and cures. And I think that's the other piece that I'd really highlight is that there is not going to be one silver bullet. There are likely going to need to be a series of uh, approaches to dealing with the underlying issues with Alzheimer's disease and dementias more broadly. And right now, there are, and this is 2020, there were 126 agents in 152 clinical trials across uh, the globe on Alzheimer's disease. And only 28 of those are in phase three clinical trial. It's not a very high number when you consider, A, the impact and the cost of Alzheimer's disease and dementias. And it's not a very high number when you compare those trials to other diseases that have an equally high impact, such as, you know, cancers or heart disease. Alzheimer's disease has been one of the few areas where we have had such high failure rates with clinical trials. And I think it begs the question, are we investing in the wrong areas and should we not be exploring broader areas and other forms of research related to dementia? Inflammation is associated with Alzheimer's disease. We haven't explored it as fully as we could have. There are relationships potentially to gut bacteria and dementia. We don't explore it very much. We don't fund very much in those areas. And part of what the Alzheimer's Society research program has been doing has been to try and encourage researchers to take those risks. So we developed a new uh, program called Proof of Concept. And the intention behind it is to encourage researchers to do what they've always done. Be curious, explore new areas, and we'll give you the funding to see if there really is a viable hypothesis here. And if it is viable, will continue to support you to gather the data you need to then be able to access larger grants. Why do you think multiple approaches are needed to attack the problem of dementia? What makes you say that? So the example I use is that dementia is an umbrella term, similar to saying cancers. There's a range of cancers that someone could be diagnosed with. And in the same way, there's a range of dementias that a person can be diagnosed with frontal temporal dementia, Lewy body dementia, Parkinson's-related dementia. 
Uh, and then there's early onset dementia. So these are people who are diagnosed with dementia um, in their 40s and 50s, which means that there are likely multiple mechanisms related to why people are developing the disease. And we need to consider that it's probably going to be a cocktail of drugs that will be able to help cure them. But there are lots of other things that people can do in the here and now. What do you recommend? There are. And thanks for raising that. Because in fact, while we haven't progressed as far as we would hope in terms of understanding treatments or cures for dementia, we have progressed quite a bit in terms of understanding the risk factors associated with dementia. A recent Lancet study that was published indicated that up to 40% of all dementias could be prevented, and this is at a population level, if these risk factors were better addressed. Um, And so they include things like sleep, which most people don't realize is associated with dementia, hearing loss. If you have hearing loss or early signs or symptoms of it, go speak to your family doctor and have it addressed. Uh, Diet. Certain types of diet have been shown to decrease your risk of developing dementia. The rule of thumb, I would say, is what's good for your heart is also good for your head. Uh, And so um, a Mediterranean diet has been shown to be quite helpful. Uh, Diets that are rich in certain types of fruits, leafy greens, fish, um, reducing your intake of uh, red meats, exercise, another key factor associated with decreasing the risk of dementia. And then there are also a lot of a range of cognitively stimulating activities. So learning something completely new outside of the realm of what you normally would do, try picking up another language, learning a new language. If you play a musical instrument like the piano, try learning the guitar or the trumpet. Flexing those new approaches means that you are potentially building something called cognitive reserve in your brain. And that is thought to also help reduce the risk of developing dementia. Or if you do develop dementia, that it might slow the progression of dementia. And of course, making sure that your blood pressure is under good control is also something that's beneficial. Yes, absolutely. So we've talked a lot about aducanumab. If patients are offered the drug, should they take it? That is a decision that is up to the patient. And before you make the decision, what we would ask is that you speak to your doctor to decide what's right for you. We would recommend that you start with your family doctor, whomever you're seeing right now. Any concerns you have about memory is the person you should go to first. Last question I'm going to ask you. People with Alzheimer's and their loved ones, including me, would like to be able to end this conversation on a more hopeful note. Are researchers working on treatments that have nothing to do with amyloid that might be more promising? Researchers across the country and across the globe are working on new treatments and potentially new approaches to dementia. Even in Canada, we have a national dementia strategy. It's the first of its kind. And under the National Dementia Strategy, one of its key pillars is research. It's one of the areas that the federal government has identified that it can have a significant role to play in funding research and moving the needle on getting closer to finding a series of cures and treatments for dementia. So there is absolutely hope. Well, Saskia Sivananthan, I want to thank you very much for taking us through a complicated conversation about a new drug treatment for Alzheimer's disease. Thank you for speaking with me. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Dr. Saskia Sivananthan 
is Chief of Research and Knowledge Translation for the Alzheimer's Society of Canada. Here's your dose of smart advice. Aducanumab is the first FDA-approved treatment for Alzheimer's disease in nearly two decades. It may benefit patients with mild Alzheimer's only. The FDA's accelerated approval means that the drug must show similar benefits in a second clinical trial before it gets conventional approval. Health Canada is currently deciding whether or not to approve the drug, and there is no guarantee that it will follow the FDA's lead. The treatment can cause brain swelling, which is a serious side effect. It costs $56,000 U.S. per year, and there's no guarantee that the provinces in Canada would pay for it should it get Health Canada approval. Researchers and pharmaceutical companies are working on other possible treatments. Meanwhile, the things you can do right now that help prevent or slow the progression of the disease include exercise, getting enough sleep, eating the Mediterranean diet, and building up cognitive reserve by learning a new language or taking up a new hobby. If you have topics you'd like to hear on The Dose or questions you'd like answered, email us at thedose at cbc.ca. You can also tweet me at NightShiftMD or at CBCWhiteCoat using the hashtag TheDoseCBC. You can find The Dose and White Coat Blackheart wherever you get your podcasts. Please do us a favor and rate our shows highly so more people can find us. This edition of The Dose was produced by Rachel Sanders with help from Amina Zoffer and with digital support from Fabiola Carletti. Thanks to Austin Pomeroy for sound engineering. A lot has happened since we launched in February 2020, and we're taking a much-needed break this summer. We want to thank all of you who've been listening so far and welcome your ideas for future episodes hopefully fewer episodes about COVID-19. The Dose wants you to be better informed about your health. But if you're looking for medical advice, see your healthcare provider. I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Until your next dose. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.